In the latest episode of Vamos Verde, we are going to talk to one of the most prolific goal scorers in Major League Soccer history, Austin FC striker Giassi Zardes. We also talked to some folks who have been bringing the soundtrack to Austin's nightlife for over 20 years and are now providing the soundtrack at Q2 Stadium, their official DJ collective, Peligrosa. That's the latest episode of Vamos Verde. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hello, and welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and this week we have a special Valentine's Day treat for you. We'll be hearing from Sander Lerke, who actually has a record coming out today, like right now. It's called Solo Pleasure, and I will tell you more about that in a second. But first, I want to make sure that you know that if you're attending the South by Southwest Conference this March in Austin, Texas, then you might want to make a little space on your calendar for the live taping of this song. We'll be part of the conference's official podcast stage, and on Thursday, March 15th at 2 p.m., we'll be in the Wisteria Room at the fancy new Fairmont Hotel with hip-hop artist and writer Dessa. And you can totally come and, like, be in the audience and maybe ask a question. I'll have the details on the show notes page for this episode, and I will see you there. Okay, now, on to Norwegian singer and songwriter Sandra Lerke. He has a Valentine's Day treat for you, for me, for all of us. It's his latest record, Solo Pleasure. On it, he does an acoustic reworking of his 2017 record, Pleasure, which is no small feat since that record is like this synth-laden pop record that sounds like exactly my kind of dance party. It's really the perfect Valentine's Day record because it takes these songs that you might think of as like really upbeat and it strips away the production to reveal the vulnerability and confusion embedded in the lyrics. It's like Valentine's Day, right? Like it's supposed to be about romance and love, but... Once you get through the chocolate and the hearts and the hubbub, like the actual day leads many of us to question the very things that we're supposed to be celebrating. Sandra Lerke has been releasing music since he was a kid. Like, seriously, he put out its first record faces down when he was 19. And he only waited that long because the adults around him wanted him to finish school. I spoke to him a couple of weeks before Solo Pleasure came out, and he told me about a song he heard while he was waiting for that first record to come out that showed him a glimpse of the journey he was about to embark on. I think for me, um, hearing the song I Know by Fiona Apple was a, a, a major moment of, I don't know, vulnerability and um, a lot of feelings. I, you know, I, I, I was probably i don't know 17 maybe when that record came out and and i loved the whole record um but there was just something about that last track on that album i know that just i don't know i i i was crying the first time i heard that song i was alone in my room and and i was in tears i i there was just something about it and i probably didn't or still don't fully comprehend the scenario in the song it just cut me open so be it I'm your crowbar 
that's what I am so far until you get out of this mess and I will pretend there was just something about um, this song that informed the life uh, I wanted to have and the experiences I wanted to have. And it may sound strange because it's such a melancholic, sad song, but it, it was touching on, you know, the, the tragic, sad, uh, romantic experiences I was going to have or I was hoping to have. So in a way, it was sort of romanticizing the distress of a real relationship. You can use my skin to bury secrets in and I will settle you down it's incredibly incredibly sad and it's still you know it's it's a song of incredible empathy and I guess I both identified with with um, you know the person singing the song but also I guess I I felt I would also identify with the person she's singing to, you know. I identified with the patient narrator, but also the, the reckless um, person described in the song. It's all sort of romanticizing something that actually is, of course, very tragic and very, very severe. But that, that line about, and when the crowd becomes your burden and you've early closed your curtains, I'll wait by the backstage door. That, I remember that those those three lines were, were particularly uh, intense to me, and and I don't think I knew why at the time. Do you have any insight as to like so many years later? Do you have any insight? Like now, do you kind of understand what that was? I suppose I must have sort of subconsciously understood that my life would would to a great extent take place on a stage, and that that will require a lot of patience and understanding from those around you and from those who, who are not on that stage. As a performer, the intimate relationships that you have are with the audience and with your band members and with your music. They're so yeah. deep and they're so inaccessible to a romantic partner who, unless that romantic partner happens to be like a collaborator or, you know, actually in your mm. band, there's no way for someone outside of that to really access it, that um, that gives me a lot of, a lot of empathy for front people. <laughs> well, it requires, of course, a lot of dedication, and you know, especially for someone like me, you know, when you're tuned into that from a very early stage, and and for as long as I can remember, I wanted to be on stage, and and I spent my teens trying to find some some way of justifying being on stage, you know, which to me the most accessible thing was to, to try to write songs and try to get real good at expressing myself through songs. And so when you go on stage, it's a very de deep relationship with, with, your, with the audience, with the actual, you know, the, the, the act of performance is, is something that I, I feel driven to do 
when I heard this song and when I've listened through it through the years and you know clearly there's a third person in the in this relationship there's a the the way I responded to the song like the the third person might as well be the audience I felt that it might as well be a song about how how hard it is to to share your life with a with a performer really but it's still I don't know I still feel it, it it's it's a song that gets sort of contain so many truths and she shows so much empathy also for for this person who is strayed in one way or another I guess it's sort of very typical, I guess, maybe of male um, artistic ego to sort of, as a teenager, dream of being at the receiving end of that undeserved empathy, <laughs> in a sense. <laughs> it's so interesting because <laughs> I was listening to it and I never once put myself in the um, on exactly. the other side of it. But I did think, I, I think there was a point at which I was like, Oh yeah, that guy sounds like a typical musician. Like <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but of course, the the interesting part also is that sh sh you know the song is written by a songwriter and performed by by an incredible performer who certainly knows everything about both sides of this coin. You know. Yeah. And so she might as well, I'm sure, be singing it to herself. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> So um, you were writing a lot when you heard this song. Yeah, I was uh, living with my mother. And I, at the time, I think I had written most of the songs that eventually became my first album, Faces Down. And I, I was sort of, the album was almost done. And I had to wait, I had to finish school so that the album could come out because the label and my my. My mom, I, they wanted me to finish school, basically, <laughs> um, and do, and do the, the reasonable thing and be sensible. So I was just waiting um, for my life to begin, really. I was waiting to just finish school and get all of that stuff out of the way so I could actually go out into the world and do what I w was supposed to do. And while I was waiting for all of this to happen, I was constantly writing more songs and songs that eventually would end up on my second and third album. Did anything about this song kind of inform the way that you started writing songs after you heard it? I think lyrically I was still just figuring out uh, or understanding how important actually lyrics are and how important they are to the audience. I had not yet toured a lot and I had certainly not in America or you know English speaking countries where where the lyrics are are communicated much more um, effortlessly you know lyrics actually go straight to the heart of the listener so I I was still probably more of, of the frame of mind where the the chord progression and the melody was key and then I had to find lyrics that I you know that I felt good about and but I, I hadn't yet explored the really uh, great artistic potential that lay in 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 the lyrics and in songs and songs like this one 
intimidated me in a sense because they were so incredibly um, well written and they affected me so much. But I think what I did l take away from it sort of immediately was I just loved how um, free the melody and the structure of it is. And, and I think uh, someone like Fiona Apple proved something to me that you could, you could both have a song be driven by words and poetry and narrative without sacrificing uh, this really rich sense of melody and harmony. She has the best of both worlds, basically, and this song proved it to me. So for the time being, being patient So I think when I made my, my second album, Two Way Monologue, I was very interested in, you know, one thing was I wanted, I got really ambitious with the lyrics, for better or worse, some, some of those lyrics were good and some were overreaching, but, but, um, but I also wanted to break up the structure of things and I wanted to have words inform the melody so that it changed, uh, you know, so, so that there were little changes along the way. I think... Um, my first first two records are very much about a, a dramatic life of a or the dramatized life of a teenager <laughs> rather <laughs> not so dramatic but dramatized and then i have uh, i made a couple of records exploring more sort of wanting to to really really um connect and and sort of tie yourself to to the one special person and have that just be be the true north sort of um in this very dynamic life that that was always my my instinct um so there's a couple of albums that sort of uh reflect the, that but i you know i guess i i did a self-titled record in 2011 and to me that's where lyrically at least i feel i i'm starting to get to <laughs> get to get to the core of this life It all leads to, to the, the Pleasure album that came out last year and then, of course, the, the solo Pleasure album, which is the album that sort of strips pleasure uh, down to its bare minimum, which is just my voice and guitar. And, of course, it, that, that context changes sort of how you will hear the songs and certainly how you, you hear the lyrics. And, and so I think you will hear that this erratic, uh, bouncy, dancey album that came out last year is is at the heart of it. It's very confused about trying to connect and tie yourself to one person, and you know, seeing that uh, fall apart, and then feeling sort of, um, for better or worse, floating in in midair, um, trying to be a, a, a more of a, a lone wolf, you know, out there in not only you know as a touring musician, but just sort of in, in your own life. Yeah, so in that sense, it's solo pleasure completely connects to the scenario uh, picted, uh, depicted here in in, uh, in the Fiona Apple song, um, and in different different sort of aftermaths of also a relationship falling apart, different sort of ways of reacting to that. 
it's easy to th to think once something is really shiny and and you know catchy or or groovy that there isn't insecurity underneath you know because it seems so uh, almost macho and confident and and you know it's a very sensual and erotic erotic album but it's also a very sort of um, sexually frustrated album in a sense so it, it 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 has both the the sort of bravado but it, but I, I think it was important to me to show that underneath it there was a lot of question marks did you see him again did you call out my name by mistake i'm not myself I'm wondering where where you find yourself now. Like, if you could tell your 17-year-old self, having gone through all this stuff, you know, what the reality was versus the the fantasy, I wonder what you would say. Oh, yeah. That would be a long, long conversation. <laughs> I think I, I needed a lot of, you know, when I was 17, I needed a lot of security to feel sort of brave enough to go into the world and and stand on the stage and proclaim, you know, my these songs that that I, that meant so so much to me and that I really didn't know if, if they would mean anything to anyone else. So, I I I, uh, I seeked a lot of security uh, when I was younger, and in many ways I was quite uptight. I was very um, I certainly felt many times when I was writing and making the pleasure album that that I could have played some of those songs for, for, for the 17-year-old self and, and asked him to sort of cut loose and let loose a bit because he was physically uptight, you know? I think that was why pleasure w was such a, an important statement to me. I, I, I certainly, when I was 17, I lived in my head. You know, I, I had not yet really entered my body, so I lived in my head, and, and, and that's why I think songs, you know, like I Know by... Fiona Apple spoke so much, sp spoke so much to me because I was living in I don't know like a sort of very emotional intellectualized, intellect. How do you say that? Intellectual. <laughs> yeah, intellectualization of my own sort of emotionality. But you know, I hadn't quite landed in in the in the body and physically coming to terms with yourself and your body, I wanted the album to be really physical, and that's why I, it had to be groovy and it had to be explosive. I think it just took me a long time to sort of understand uh, my body and what it is for, and that's something that I, I, I want to talk to the 17-year-old about. I think that's something that I wanted to celebrate um, with this record, and also, you know, in the solo pleasure version. Um, in between all the confusion, there's a lot of pleasure <laughs> also. <laughs> Follow you down digital rabbit holes Who you like, where you been So I continue to pine for the time when You were somewhere with me And this is I'm Always Watching You from Sandra Lerke's new record, Solo Pleasure, the sweetest song about digital stalking I've ever heard. 
come on. You know, we all do it. Like I said, solo pleasure does what Sandra set out to do. It shows you the sadness and vulnerability enmeshed in these bangers that he wrote for pleasure. And I love this idea that you can kind of trace this line through Sandra's artistic life, like he's been exploring the different aspects of the scenario he first recognized when listening to I Know as a teenager, like throughout the course of his career and his life, like an ongoing, ever-evolving musical conversation. I think it's pretty beautiful. And that's it. You have come to the end of another episode of This Song. This Song is a production of 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen. And the interview was edited by Nadia Hamden. Seriously, y'all, I love her edits. The episode was recorded by David Alvarez. Kelly Seal is our most excellent intern. Aaron Waltz is our social media intern. And thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And it's true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. (laughs) 